Yeah, let's run the out of the ball, baby. They're wrestling, so are we. Punch them in the mouth. Raise your glasses to kicking everybody's ass. What's going on, guys? Circle City Sports Podcast with another cold episode. And today we are going to recap the Colts' defeat of the Miami Dolphins, 16 to 12, uh, last Sunday in Indianapolis. Pretty pitiful effort for Indianapolis Colts at home against a 117. The game should have been not even close, and the Colts came out offensively at least was flat. Uh, I know on TV it looked like a complete crap show. Jake, you were actually at the game. Did did, was I seeing the right thing? Did the TV show me what I was looking at? Yeah, I mean, it, it probably didn't do it justice even. I mean, the, the offense right now is, is a mess. Um, you know, missed assignments in the run game. Um, you know, just the, the receivers can't get any separation. Ryan Hoyer had no situational awareness whatsoever, continuously forcing the ball downfield when there are guys underneath that could be had. I mean, it, it was just an embarrassing offensive showing, and, and obviously we'll get into it. But, yeah, being there, it just really shows, you know, where we're at. With I mean, obviously we're down a couple receivers, but we have nobody that can create separation, which caused increased load in the box. And Brian Hoyer just played, like, complete crap. It was even worse when you watch it live because you could see so many times he missed guys open underneath. And anybody that watches the tape sees it. Um, you know, so unfortunately not having Jacoby Brissett really, really, really hurt us because you needed a guy that could take those check downs, be patient. And we didn't have that on Sunday and it really led to the loss. And of course, we'll recording this recap show a little bit later in the week. Of course, we're recording this Wednesday night. Jacoby Brissett is a full participant in practice this week. So that should be good. To, he should be good to go. Hopefully uh, Sunday against Jacksonville. But we're recapping the Dolphins game right now. So let's start off with the offense. Like you said, absolutely crap show from them on uh on Sunday. They couldn't really move the ball with consistency. Brian Hoyer, of course, threw three interceptions. Uh the one in the end zone, Eric Ebron was a bit questionable on the replay they showed it. And they basically said Ebron, you know, when he came down to complete the process of the catch, that was when the D B stole it from Eric Ebron. And Eric Ebron came out, you know, the week before and said, Hey, I want to get more targets. You can't go out there. He had twelve targets and only caught five passes. You can't, you know, you can't talk to the coach and make it, you know, media available and whatnot, and then go out there and put up that type of performance. Yeah, I mean, that that jump started it. I mean, the defense did a great job getting us the ball right away, and you thought, okay, here we go. This is the deflating play we need. And then all of a sudden, Hoyer throws a very catchable ball, a good ball, the right throw. I mean, Ebron has a guy on him, but it's one-on-one -on -one against the defensive back. And when you're, you know, are supposed to be our elite, you know, red zone threat, you've got to come down with that pass. I mean, and, and it should have been secured and, and he got out for it. I mean, point Blake and that, you know, obviously that's the key play of the game for him, but you know, throughout the game, he really wasn't getting much separation. It, it continues that theme that I mentioned at the beginning, you know, they, they blanketed him pretty much all game. Uh, you know, he got the one-on-one -on -one opportunities and man that he was winning last year and he's not winning those this year. And again, the, the, the end zone play is a drop. I mean, regardless of what the defender did, I mean, the drops continue for him. Um, you know, he's just not showing up in the capacity that he needs to be showing up when he's not a blocking tight end. He's a one-dimensional player, and he's not providing the spark that he needs to provide individually for this team. And, and we've desperately needed him. With T.Y. Hilton out, he's really 
the only mismatched player that we have left offensively, and he's just been a big letdown this year. I know Andrew Luck is a tight end whisperer. I know he makes guys look great, but you know, going into the season, I thought Ebron was still going to have a really nice follow-up campaign, and really he's just been a bust. It's just been really disappointing to watch and see his regression this year, and it's not on Jacoby Brissett or Brian Hoyer. It's on Eric Ebron because he's just not winning his matchups. He's been inconsistent with his hands, and he's lost the, the, the trust of the coaching staff. That's why his snaps went down. And they try to give him an opportunity after he publicly stated that he wanted Wright to give him more opportunities. He got that opportunity, like you said, 12 targets. He outsnapped Jack Doyle for probably the first time in his career when Jack that was Doyle's a big shock. That yeah. should never happen. I mean, well, and that that's Frank Reich putting belief in his player. I mean, when he came up to Frank Reich, and I know people there are some people saying Frank Reich caved or you know didn't do the right thing. I, I love it because you have a guy calling for the ball, wanting the ball. And that's just a coach putting the ball in the player's hands and him saying, okay, you want to step up and be in a bigger role. Here you go. I'm going to give it to you. And he got a big fat F because he didn't make any dynamic plays. And like you said, five catches on 12 targets is absolutely unreal for a guy his size. And, you know, yeah, Hoyer was inaccurate, you know, but there was some times that he should have came down with some of those catches and didn't. And ultimately he just has not been the X factor. We were hoping he would be this season. So another unit that's been regressing especially lit recently is the offensive line. And I know, like you said, Colts faced a lot of press man and seven, eight guys in the box, but that we just couldn't get anything going against that 27th ranked run defense in the Miami Dolphins. And they were just flat out terrible. I know Mac probably knew he had about a 20 yard run. I want to say in the middle of the third quarter, I said, Oh, there's Marlon Max one big run outside of that. The running game was just basically non-existent. Well, and I mean, you know, you you hit the nail on the head. The the offensive line is facing more people in the box. Nobody respects our our deep game whatsoever. The single high safeties all over all all the time. That's what we face, and so it, it's hard to just completely blast the offensive line. But I put a lot on them because this is the unit we've invested the most in. I mean, this is our unit moving forward, probably for the most part, unless they replace Lewinsky. But four of those five guys on this offensive line are going to be here for the long haul. We've invested a lot in those guys. And if we're going to invest that much in the offensive line, they need to perform. And and whether you're facing extra box, extra men in the box, I mean, you have Jack Doyle in there still. I mean, you still have generally six guys blocking at the line of scrimmage. And it wasn't all the fact that there were extra men in the box. There were missed blocking assignments, you know, coming off of blocks early, not hitting the right blocks, and Marlon Max not hitting the holes as aggressively as he probably should. I mean, it is an, an overall effort whenever anything fails. But, yeah, the offensive line is, is something that we are investing very, very heavily in, and we rely on them very heavily. And against a defense that's ranked at the bottom of the league, in in uh, rushing defense, you have to be able to perform against them at any cost, no matter what. There is no excuses for that. When you have a top 10 running back, you have an offensive line that a lot of people early on in the season considered to be arguably the best unit in the league, and you come in at home and can't establish yourself against the run. I mean, Brian Hoyer had to throw almost 40 passes in this game. That is unacceptable. We should have been able to come in and impose our will against this team, and we weren't getting pushed whatsoever. It's not like, you know, oh, because there were extra men in the box, we aren't able to bust out these big runs. We couldn't even get four yards consistently. That's not extra men in the box. That's just our guys getting blown off the ball. So it's unacceptable. The offensive line needs to do better because that's our best offensive unit, whether Jacoby Brissett's in there or not. We need to rely on them to be able to run the ball whenever we need them to run. And it's the same story last year. And honestly, right now, this three-game stretch, they look worse than they looked at any point last season. So I think it's a definite concern moving forward. And these guys need to start taking that pride back 
in running the football and opening lanes because even on the left side, when you have Costanzo, Nelson, they put Doyle over there, that was just, they were wreaking havoc early on in the year. I mean, no matter what teams did, they were just opening up gaping holes for Marlon Mack, and now all of a sudden those holes aren't there anymore. So it, it was definitely a concern to see. I thought this was a game that they could get that running game back going, but it was just the same thing that we've seen in recent weeks. I wonder if it's – one thing I asked was if, if, if it's the new coaching staff that we have on the offensive line, if that's possibly what it could be because um, Gooch was – Gooch got the best out of everyone. Even Mark Glowinski was – you know, he was – pretty good right guard for us last year could Chris Strauss here our new offensive line could you know he just not be getting the best out of our guys right now could the zone blocking scheme not be um could could that not be what's best suited for this offensive line that's just something and even the sack numbers have gone up the last couple weeks I want to say it's up to nine uh these last two weeks of course Brian Hoyer compared to Jacoby Brissett at under center is a little bit different but even in the Denver game, Denver was constantly getting into our backfield and getting to Jacoby Brissett in that game. So I'm just wondering if it's our O-line coach, our O-line scheme, and that's why our offensive line hasn't been as great, uh, at least recently. Well, it's a very fair question because the talent's there. I mean, it's obvious. Again, you have three first-round picks. You have a second-round pick, and Glowinski was even a fourth-round pick. So when you compare that across the board, I mean, we we are easily one of the top five investments in terms of offensive line. So the talent's there. The production historically is there. It's a very fair question to ask if it's just the offensive line coach isn't doing his job in making sure the guys are where they're supposed to be. Because, I mean, again, I've I've seen on tape the last couple of weeks just just guys coming off of blocks early, not hitting the right blocks, just, just missed assignments. And it's just weird because that's part of the reason they said they let Gooch go was they said that they didn't feel like, technically speaking, that they were sound enough in terms of, you know, like I just said, their technique, you know, being in the right spots, all those things. But when I watched them on tape, it looks like they're farther back at this point last season than they were last year. So, you know, it's a fair question to ask. And if they continue to struggle moving forward, it is something Frank Reich is going to have to address. And he's actually been asked specifically about it. He said he's happy with the way Strasser is coaching them. I don't know if that's just him defending his guy. But regardless, this offensive line is not performing up to snuff. And when you're going to invest that amount, these types of performances can't happen, regardless of the personnel you face, regardless of what happens. You should be able to, at least in some capacity, have been able to overwhelm them enough to put some drives together and be able to put some points. And they couldn't do that at all. Like you said, one 19-yard run from Marlon Mack was really all we got in terms of production. He was held under four yards to carry again. And he's just tumbling down the running back rankings because we can't get the ball running. Let's move over to a unit, though, that's been playing a lot better recently and, and the defense as a whole. Yeah, they gave up 16 points to Miami Dolphins. 13 of them were off of turnovers. But this defensive unit overall, they are they are making teams go the long way offensively, making them go 10, 12, 13 play drives. But they've really stiffened up in the red zone. And I've got stats here. You want to hear their red zone defense? I know I showed you this, but their red zone defense in the last five games since the uh, bye week, the uh, opposing offenses have scored touchdowns six out of 17 times. They were one of three against Houston. Um, or no, they were one of three against Kansas City, two and five against Houston, one and three against um, Denver. They were one and four against Pittsburgh. And they were one of two last uh, last Sunday against Miami. So their deep, the red zone defense has significantly improved. 
Yeah, and that was the one saving grace from this game. I mean, you know, I've heard people call it the worst loss of the right era, and that's the only reason I disagree is because I thought the defense played very, very well. I thought the Oakland game overall was just – Actually, that's something I meant to ask you at the beginning. Is this the most gut-wrenching loss that you have felt as a Colts fan? Because if if you're asking me, I can't remember a lot of games where I woke up the next morning, I'm like, dang, we really lost that team. Probably – this is probably the most gut-wrenching loss to me since our Super Bowl loss to the Saints. Like, I can't remember a game where, you know, this is a game – I knew for sure we should win this game. And then we end up losing and play a bad effort. Like Miami did not beat us Sunday. We beat ourselves. And the fact that we lost that game when we should have won pretty handily, that is probably like the most gut-wrenching loss I've experienced in the last seven, eight years. Yeah, I mean, it's right up there. I mean, and, and I just was going to reference the Oakland loss was one that was extremely frustrating for me. We've had some in recent years. I mean, the luck era getting blown out, you know, by, by the Rams at home was just embarrassing. I, I remember that one vividly. I mean, we lost by 50 to the saints in 2011. I know we were, you know, that was the year Manning was out, but still lose by 50 points is unbelievable. Um, you know, so, I mean, we've had some, but the one thing that, that stuck out for me in this game more than some of the others is, is my concern, you know, for the offensive personnel moving forward. I mean, you have, you know, obviously, like I said, Brian Hoyer was out, you're down some people, but you you still couldn't run the ball. You still have, I mean, Zach Pascal's a guy that a lot of people are trying to, you know, hype up as as an as a future staple of this offense. You know, he couldn't get anything going. Nobody on this offense can get anything going against the Dolphins team that across the board was ranked almost dead last in everything. I mean, Brian Hoyer deserves his credit, but he got no help from his teammates. I mean, a couple of times Jack Doyle broke free, but all in all, there was no separation from our receivers. And it's just like deja vu all over again. I know, you know, you're high on Devin Funches coming back, T.Y. is coming back and all those things. But in terms of the same issues that have plagued this team, it just doesn't seem like we've made any headway offensively. And that's one thing that stuck out to me more than anything is I'm concerned about our offense moving forward as a whole because, it seemed like with Andrew Luck coming into the season, it seemed like this offense was primed to be a top five unit. But even with if Luck was in here, I, I'm not convinced that that's the same unit that we thought outside of Jack Doyle and Marlon Mack when the offensive line is blocked for him. Nobody on this offense has lived up to their billing. So is there more is, are there more issues to this offense than we initially thought? was going to move forward because it was initially seeming like the quarterback, but now it seems like there may be other problems creeping up with this offense that could be long-term issues. Yeah, so let's go back to the defense. So yeah, I, I Honestly, you got to think, all three, I want to say all three interceptions, actually, two of them, the one in the end zone was the third one, but two of the interceptions that Brian Hoyer, Hoyer threw, they were on plus territory for the Miami Dolphins, so they were basically already in field range, and to hold them down to what, 10 points, basically, and the one touchdown came on a Ryan Fitzpatrick scramble. I mean, you got to give credit to the defense. I mean, I, I know they didn't get – they didn't, they gave up, what, six points in the last five minutes? But, I mean, still, yeah. if Brian Hoare doesn't throw an interception there when you're down 13 to 12, that defense doesn't give up 16 points. They only give up 13. And then you go down the field, maybe Avatar makes a game-winning field goal. Maybe we go down and end up scoring a touchdown and putting the pressure on Miami. And you also got to remember – I think we what we forced two turnovers in the game, if I'm correct. Yeah, we did. Yeah, two interceptions by De- or two uh, two forced uh, turnovers by Darius Leonard. So I thought the defense has really been ta- has really been turning it up recently. Their red zone defense has been better. Their down defense has been better over the last five games. They're 21 of 65 against um, opposing offenses on third down. 
compared to 21 of 43 in the first four games. So you're going from what I think it's 48 to about 33 percent, and this de- this defense is now starting to create turnovers. They created two against Houston. They created two against Pittsburgh or three against no, it's two against I think it was two or three against Pittsburgh, and then two against Miami. Yeah, and I mean that's we got off track a little bit, but that's what I was saying about the defense playing so well is one of the reasons I don't think this is Wright's worst loss because I, I thought the defense played really well. I mean, that side of the ball wasn't as disgusting to watch as it was when we lost to Oakland or early on in the season. Uh, you know, I mean, they're really starting to, like you say, step up. I mean, that Kansas City game was a turn of the tide for this unit. They played really well since then against good and bad defenses. They've been a constant for us. They put us in position to win that game. I mean, that game should have been over in the first five minutes. They, the Colts score a touchdown off of that turnover, and they win the game. I mean, that that alone, seven points. Would have been enough to to win the game just with the flow of what was going really, on after. Really, the last three games, this defense has been the reason why we've been in all three games. Yeah, I mean, because you you lost the you lost seven points last week again against Pittsburgh because of Brian Hoyer's pick six, and you lost a touchdown again this week. And and with single with one possession games, you win if those plays don't happen. So the defense is is helping us greatly put us in position to win these games and the offense is what's letting us down by untimely turnovers, but they did, they did a really good job. I mean, three sacks on, on Fitzpatrick should have been more. I mean, that, that sack Justin Houston missed at the end led to the game winning field goal, which was just brutal because he had him wrapped up. He destroyed Jamarcus Webb all game. Uh, You know, the defensive line in general did a really good job. I, I, I was really impressed. I mean, I know the dolphins aren't, aren't a good team, but considering the positions they were put in, they did more than enough. To, to win this ball game and and again they continue to roll and be a, a, a good unit and I'm really impressed with the turnaround for Eberflus and again this defense a lot of first and second year players so you know this is a defense that's definitely on the rise it's going to continue to improve as these guys get their snaps and I, I'm excited to see this defense moving forward because it's become a constant and that's the only that's one of the main reasons I think that this team still has a good shot to make the postseason is because that defense has still been really really good. And if the offense can find that rhythm they had early in the season, this team can still make a, a run and win it and string some wins together. Yeah, I even look at the box score. Miami only had they ran 62 plays, but they only gained 229 yards, so 3.7 yard 3.7 yards per play. Like that's some pretty smothering defense. I know this is the Miami Dolphins. They're not world beaters by any stretch of the imagination. But if you're able to hold an NFL offense to 229 total yards, that's pretty impressive, especially with 62 plays that they ran. And they even help. We can even look back to Kansas City. Patrick Mahomes, yes, they were without. Travis Kelsey basically limited himself from the game for how he played. Sammy Watkins went out early. Tyreek Hill wasn't there. Patrick Mahomes was hobbled. But even then, they still hold that Chiefs that Chiefs offense to 300 under 300 yards, and they were really struggling to move the ball in. Well, they, I mean, you can point to that Houston game. If you if you have any doubts of whether or not this is like, you know, last year's unit, people said, oh, well, they play bad teams. You know, Houston came in as arguably the hottest offense in football. It's a lot like that Dallas game last year where you had Des Bryant was going off or um, Amari Cooper was going off and Ezekiel Elliott was running all over people, and, and they came in and we blanked them. It was a similar type of performance against Houston. With, with Watson, a lot of people put him in the MVP conversation. You have a top two or three receiver in the league in DeAndre Hopkins. They were running the ball really well. Well, that offense was clicking on all cylinders and they came in here and you had mentioned their red zone offensive efficiency too. They they came in here and we smothered them. I mean, they were like two out of five in the red zone 
in that game. So th- this defense isn't a fluke. This isn't just because they played a bad team. You're never going to apologize for who you're who you're matched up against. You play who you can play. And this defense over the last handful of weeks has stepped up to the challenge and done everything you've asked them to do. The, the resurgence of Darius Leonard this last week was great to see, especially after some people were dogging him for his performances so far this season. You know, me included, saying that he needs to do more. He needs to be a playmaker. We saw that. It was great to see the Maniac back playing the way we know he can play. It's great to see Justin Houston finally get, you know, his sack numbers going up. You know, there, there's a lot of good things going on defensively right now. And even Rakistin, I mean, you know, people haven't didn't I haven't heard one word about him, but he I thought he played really well in the snaps that he was in. He was he was all over his guy. You saw the physicality. He made a couple tackles. Um, you know, I thought he played a really good game too. So there's some good things going on in this defense right now. He wasn't Rock was, I was about to mention Rock real fast. He wasn't. I don't think he was only targeted, but maybe once Sunday, and he forced an incompletion. So if you're not being targeted a whole lot, like he was early in the year, obviously that shows he's been playing a lot better, um, a lot better coverage. And one thing I think his defense has quietly done a lot better job of. They've been really disciplined. They haven't been killing themselves with turnovers. We haven't seen players out of position a whole lot. Sometimes you know that happens. But this defense, like you said, has been playing a lot of young guys. They're like not out of position on all the time, and they're not committing dumb dumb penalties. Yeah, and I mean those those things are dwindling less and less. Honestly, it's funny because the one guy that was doing that recently was Darius, you know, and that that was you know kind of put to bed with his performance this week. But all in all, I mean, even the rookies are doing a great job being in their spots. That's why Chris Ballard likes to draft guys that are considered intelligent, you know, guys with, with high character because, you know, the, the learning curve's usually less because they put their nose to the grindstone. They do what they have to do to make the right plays, to do the right things. And that, that's what we have right now. We have a group of young guys playing beyond their age. And, and it's, it's a, once again, a really good defensive draft class by Chris Ballard. And, you know, this unit's going to eventually creep up into a top five unit if they keep doing what they're doing and get some seasoning under them. I think they'll all mesh together, play even better, and there's a lot of good things going on on that side. One thing I want to say real fast before we move on to bigger issues on the Colts, Marvel Tell has really impressed me these last couple weeks. He was, he was inserted as a, a basically a starter. You know, the Colts don't play. If we're talking nickel package, sub packages, he's in third corner. So he basically plays starter amount of snaps. I have been really impressed with how well he's been playing. I know he's been giving out. He gave up a couple pet catches to Devontae Parker, but he's like right there in coverage all the time, really. And he forced that uh, turnover last week against Pittsburgh. And I've been really impressed with him because you know he's been he's making that move from safety down the corner, and he was a late round draft pick. I honestly thought he was a tr- he was a tweener. I thought he was the guy that was going to sit on our practice squad all year and develop. And the guys come in the last couple weeks and played really well. Like we have completely forgotten that we are missing our number one corner in Pierre Desir. Like, he hasn't played since, what, the Texans game? And this defense is still playing well. Yeah, that's a that's a great, great call. And, you know, I love watching Marvell Tell. And I think he's ultimately a guy that what they want Rocky Seam to be. I mean, honestly, I think the way Marvell Tell is playing is what they were hoping Rocky Seam would be. He is extremely long. He is extremely he's physical. Big. So big. Yes, he is. He, I mean, he just looms over these these receivers. He is very big for a corner and his physicality is really good. He's, he's a lot better with his hands right now than Rocky scene is. He's, he's really, again, that's what we expect Rocky scene to play like. And I fully expect him to do that down the road, but to see Marvell tell 
really utilize his physicality and size the way he has and look at look as disciplined as he has. And like you said, it's it's extremely impressive because, you know, playing safety in college football and then to go to a cornerback in the NFL, that's a gigantic leap for any player. And he's handled the, the call really well. Like you said, we haven't missed Pierre Desir really at all because of the way that Marvell Tell is playing, because you're right. He is lining up a lot outside. Also, he's really taking over the responsibilities of Pierre Desir, which is that press man corner. And he's doing it really well. And he's a guy that has a really bright future on this team. This may have been a really great find by Chris Ballard. He did. He's done his transition a lot better than what TJ Green ever did for the Colts. I remember that one preseason that they tried to make TJ Green a cover corner and it did not work. But he also got yeah, remember Marvel Tell has basically eliminated Quincy Wilson from this roster. I mean, Quincy Wilson the last well not last week because he was on the injury report, but he's basically been inactive since what the Houston game. And yep. that's with losing your number one corner. So they must have a lot of trust in Marvel Tell, and I can see it because he's been making some plays. Yeah, not one more thing on him. It's not just his, his coverage ability, but also he's a really good tackler. I mean, he's mm-hmm. made some nice plays at the line of scrimmage when he's been asked to be off the ball. I mean, and he's just that's what they expect from all of their corners. They want them to be able to be physical when they ask them to press and then be able to tackle when they play off. And Marvell Tell has been able to do that really, really well. So his all-around ability has just been really a revelation for us to watch and for me to watch personally because, like you said, his size is just really something that you sit in awe at. When you're watching a game, you're like, man, this guy is huge. And he uses that size to his advantage and does it really well. Let's move on to the last part of the show, and that's going to be talking about the kicking because we already haven't talked about that enough each and every game. Is it time to move? It's got to be time to move on from Terry. They recently, I think it was either yesterday or Wednesday, uh, they, um, it was either Tuesday or Wednesday, sorry, that they brought in some kickers to try out. But I mean, I made this point where I said, if this is the second time you're trying out kickers and you still got the same one from the first time, then you need to get rid of the guy. I don't care if Terry has won three, four Super Bowls, he's going to be a first ballot. Hall of Fame kicker, which is like next to impossible. I don't care if he's got all these accolades. We are we are not talented enough, top end talent wise, for our kicker to be missing these field goals because we're gonna be in all these tight games. We can't be having our kicker missing all these field goals and extra points. And I'm not putting sole blame on Abbott Terry for that loss Sunday against Miami. But I mean, you make that extra you make that extra point, make it 13-10. Miami goes down, and kicks field goal. Then you're going down and going for a field goal to win the game. Which is the problem. <laughs> Which is the problem. I mean, people say if he made that field goal or that extra point, we'd be we'd have a chance to tie it, but do we really have any faith that he would have made that field goal? I mean it's getting it's getting to this point where and I watch every snap. It's getting to the point where I look away and pray that he makes the field goal. Because it's just so hard to watch because these kicks it's not like he's hitting them high high and straight and he's missing them barely. He's duck hooking them so bad as Kevin Bone would say. He's duck hooking him so bad to the left. It's just not even pretty to watch. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, t- I mean, I sat on this podcast last, last week and said, you know, it's kind of a situation where you've made this bed. You have to lie in it. This, this is it. I mean, they, you're past that point now. Because when I say that, I, I'm talking about this is a guy that, you know, yeah, you're going to have to live with some misses here and there. But I mean, this guy's missing extra points like it's nobody's business. I mean, you're at 70% on extra points. On extra points, I think the league average is like 95%. That is unbelievable. And he missed another one. I mean, I'm sitting there at the game, and it's hard to – where we were sitting, it was kind of hard to see because we're in the corner. 
you know, but I'm, I'm looking on the field and I'm like, did he just miss that? And I look up at the screen and saw that he hooked it. I'm like, man, it, it, it's enough's enough. And, you know, I, I understand the, the position Chris Ballard and Frank Riker in. You have an all-time great player who's a respected player in that locker room. Guys love him. Chris Ballard and Frank Reich think the world of him. But, but you're in the business of winning football games. And you're doing that locker room a disservice. They talk about his leadership. But can you imagine the morale of that team when week in and week out, you're battling your ass off to win football games. And all of a sudden, the guy that has to make one or two plays a game, maybe three or four, comes out and shanks them every single week. That just has to be demoralizing. They even talked to Malik Hooker about it. And Malik Hooker talked, obviously gushed about how much he loves Adam. But he said something in that quote that, that was interesting to me. He said, I'm sure a lot of guys are frustrated by it. This is a guy that's in that locker room. So when he says something like that, you know it's a talk in the locker room. And it's got to be demoralizing and frustrating for the team. And it's not fair to them. It's not fair to them to ask them to give to, – for Darius Leonard to give that kind of effort that he did on Sunday for it to be cost to him because of his kicker. I mean, and that's ultimately – that last play is what changed the game in terms of probably going to overtime is the kicker. And, you know, yeah, there are, like you said, there are other elements to it. There are probably more concerning elements to this team right now. But you can't let the guy that only trots out on the field three, four, five times a game impact your game like this. If Vinatieri was missing 50-plus yarders, we could understand that. We could give a pass for that in a certain capacity. But you can't go 18 of 26 on field goals or extra points on a season and expect that to be acceptable and let that go on all season long. I mean, we sat here and gave every excuse in the world for him in the book. I mean, we were like, okay, well, week one, you know, he's never played in that stadium. Week two, he hates the Titans stadium. Enough's enough. He was at home with the roof closed, with the window closed. I mean, we this fan base has done more than enough in terms of being patient with him. I think that roster has done more than enough in being being patient with him. Nobody has said one negative word about the guy, but you're putting the players in a tough position now because you're costing your team wins. This team is fighting to make the playoffs. And how do you look at every guy in that locker room and tell them we need you to give 110% so that we can win these games and then look at Adam Vinatieri and say, well, it's okay that you're consistently missing field goals. If they put Bobby Okariki out there and he was missing tackles by the dozen, they wouldn't let him go out there. You know, they wouldn't let other players get away with these types of things. I understand. I've got a perfect example for you. Look at Deion Kane. Exactly. I Inconsistent, mean, not catching the ball. He got he got waived for Marcus Johnson. Like a guy in the same position to him. Yeah. I mean, you, you can't allow these types of things to continue to happen. It's just not right to the players. It's not right to the fans that have to watch these. Like you said, you shouldn't be looking away from your television when your kicker comes out. I mean, and I understand what Adam Vinatieri is, but if the Giants can bench Eli Manning, who's won two Super Bowls for them, the Colts can make the tough decision and cut Adam Vinatieri, even though he's an all-time legend, even though he's an all-time great. We all love him. We respect him. Nobody wants it to be this way. But also, at the end of the day, these fans, these fans pay to see a winning product. These fans watch to win a winning product. And these players are asked by their coaches to give 110% in practice every day. They're making guys like Tyquan Lewis inactive because they say they're not practicing good enough. What does that say to Tyquan Lewis when Adam Vinatieri can go out there and miss field goals week after week after week and kick his, keep his job? It's just not right. It's not fair. And, and I'm disappointed in Chris Ballard and Frank Reich right now, to be honest with you. I just think that they are very much so mishandling this situation. And I think it's going to come back to bite them, honestly, when you talk about credibility in the locker room. I think that was one of the biggest strengths of this team. But this could, at least in the short term, fracture that trust that the players have in the coach 
and in the general manager because they're not holding everybody to the same standard, and it's not fair. Well, one thing I mentioned right after the game, and, of course, Twitter is always a hot bug whenever the Colts lose, especially how they lost on Sunday. I said, I basically said, let's not blame the kicker when the quarterback gave gave Miami 13 points. I mean, you think of it like this. Yes, Admin Terry should make – 90, he should make 95% of his extra points, and he should probably make above 80% of his extra his field goals. But if Brian Hoyer does not throw an interception, the first interception I could I could deal with because that's an Eric Ebron play. Eric Ebron should make that play. He should come down with it. The second the second interception, he completely air. I think it's he completely airmails. I think it's Eric Ebron on the play, and the guy returns it into Miami Dolphins territory. Then the third one, you're down 13-12. First play of the drive, first and 10 at your, I think it's about 25 or 30 yard line. And you throw a dumb interception, results in six more points. So it's just not solely Avitary's fault that they, that they, that the Colts lost. Obviously, if he hits the extra point, Colts are only going for a field goal. But if Brian Horry doesn't throw the interception to lead Miami into a field goal the drive before, then the Colts aren't going down to try to score a touchdown. They're going down for a field goal. And, you know, they got in position. A couple good throws by Hoyer. They got a good. They they got in good field goal range, where you know they could have kicked the field goal. And I think a chip shot like that inside of 40 yards, Terry should make that. And I'm trying to find a quote real fast that Frank Reich had today. He said he recalled Marv Marv Levy, of course, his coach in Buffalo when he was there. He said, "You trust, you treat everyone fairly, but not everyone the same." Does that that does not say accountability? That's that says hey that says basically a double standard. Adam Vinatieri, you're the greatest ever. That means you can miss you know X amount of field goals and and, and extra points. Taekwon Lewis, you're not bringing in practice, so we're gonna make you a healthy scratch. Like that's a double standard, and that's not called accountability. That's not holding everyone to the highest standard that Ballard and Reich preach all the time. Yeah, and I mean I I get the quote. I think that there there is some accuracy to it in terms of. You know, if Peyton Manning went out for three straight weeks and had three picks in each game, he's still not losing his he's still not losing his job unless that continues over the course of years. Whereas if you if you have, you know, a guy like Brian Hoyer, like you just said, go out and do that, he's probably losing his job. But they already gave Adam Vinatieri that mulligan, that that, you know, legend type of mulligan after the first couple of weeks. That's done with. Like you got the extra treatment because any other kicker in the league would have been gone after the first couple of weeks when he played as poorly as he did against Tennessee. And, and then kicked as poorly as he did against Los Angeles. That would have been it for any other kicker in the league. So you already – Frank Reich already treated him better than he would have treated any other player that gave up those kind of mistakes that cost his team to win. You already gave him that mulligan. He does not get a right to, in week 11 or week 10, come out and continue to miss extra points and then sit up there and say, well, you treat everyone fairly but not the same. You're already not treating him the same because you gave him a mulligan that nobody else in this league would have gotten. At some point, like you said, it becomes an accountability issue, and that's what it is. You already you already did what you could to save this guy's season, to allow him to continue his career in Indianapolis, and, and he's not getting the job done. You have to make the tough decision. You have to do right by that locker room, by the fan base, by your other coaches, by everyone involved in this in this situation – and let the guy go because you're costing the team wins. And it, and it's it's going to suck when we miss the playoffs by a game and all of a sudden you have all these different spots you can go back and look. And most of them include Adam Vinatieri missing a field goal that would have put us in position to win a football game. 
So that's a, probably a good way to finish this show. And, of course, the Colts lost to Miami Dolphins, and that was probably the worst performance ever in probably the right ballot era. So we'll have to see how they do again Sunday. But backs up against the wall, divisional opponent. Colts will play the Jacksonville Jaguars at home on Sunday at 1 o'clock on CBS. Um, we will have that re- we will have that preview game for you guys probably the next day or two. So be looking out for that. Um, we appreciate you guys listening to the show, and we hope you guys have a good rest of the day.